Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So suddenly you realize, this isn't working. I got to do something different. I love what I do, but hmm, maybe I need something more. Maybe I need something that gives me some enjoyment. And so suddenly you step out, you go for it. Sound familiar? Some of you sitting there wondering, what should I do? Whether that's coming out or finding a new job or whatever it might be. And suddenly you go and you do something that you really thought could be the open doorway. And it turns into something completely, completely different. And that's what we're talking about today on Life Uncloseted as we dive in with a brand new author, Mike Karen, who has his first book coming out. It's already out. You guys can go grab it on the shelves. And I love talking to first-time authors because I was one of those myself one day, and it was like, this is really scary, and it's also a heck of a lot of work. But I love Mike's vibe. I love where he's going. And, oh, guess what? He happens to be gay, so we'll probably get into a little bit of that gay conversation as well. Um, but I'm really looking forward to introducing all of you to him and diving in and having a conversation about his new book, Four Funerals, No Marriage, and what that all means to him. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast, my new friend. I'm looking forward to our conversation here. Thank you. And thank you for having me. So it's such an interesting thing when these crossroads of life meet, right? You're suddenly like, hey, I need to do something. But you know what? You love your free time. You do some stuff with, you know, gay tournament bowling and all this sort of stuff. But you always had this kind of calling to stand up comedy, right? Well, that's what I thought I had a calling for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then something changed, right? And I, right. It, it was like, okay, here I am on this stage. But then suddenly the guy in front of me is doing some stuff. I'm like, hmm, how's this going to work? Right. Right. I, I um, was a little bit shocked when I was in my 40s when I started hit the stage and was doing it with a lot of young people who were getting up there doing a lot of homophobic, racist, sexist stuff. And I said, I got to take my humor and bring it somewhere else. Mm. And that's when mm. I started to write. And it's such an interesting thing because I, I remember that whole piece happening for me. I wasn't stand-up comic. Although some people were like, you're really funny. You should be on stage. I'm like, no, I'm 58 years old. Not, not that I, that's an eight. I'm just like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I, I got to be in bed by nine. Sorry. That's just the way it works these days, you know, but um, it is interesting as I've been writing book number two, this whole comedy thing is kind of like surfacing mm -hmm. again. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Here you are standing on stage. I need to take this somewhere else. You start the creative writing. Was there like, okay, let's go be funny. Or was it, oh, suddenly something else happened in life. And it was like, Ooh, I think I'm going to take it down this path. All right. I wrote it in my own voice. Um, I write a lot in like the way I speak and, and mm -hmm. I intersperse a lot in a lot of humor into my interactions with people. It's probably something I developed early on as a defense against, you know, being left out of things, feeling um, scared when I was still in the closet and struggling for acceptance when I came out. So I learned to 
put a smile on it and make a joke about it. You know, sometimes if you go underneath it, you'll find, you know, this pain there. But um, I found in writing, I, I didn't have a different voice that that was the mm-hmm. voice that I could write with. And so it seems to, it seems to work. Um, critics have found the book to be poignant and funny and humorous. And they all seem to notice that. Um, and um, I, I worried a little bit, maybe I needed to pump up the comedy, but I think I've, I found the right mix for this mm-hmm. book. And, you know, we don't want to give away everything about the book, but it came with some stresses of taking care of family, right? Right, right. So basically, uh, the book is is about the the unexpected turn my life took when my parents and my my husband's mother were all sick at the same time, and over two and a half period of time, we took care of them, and they died, um, and. It had affected me in a lot of ways that I didn't realize until I started writing the book. So, um, but it was sort of like what happened for me was my parents had been living a a bit of a distance away and decided they wanted to move closer to us. They came up house hunting. They were there for a weekend. And over that weekend, my father had a stroke. My mother had a heart attack. Wow. And my life just took this 180 degree turn in this other direction um in terms of caregiving and at the same time my mother-in-law had three bouts of cancer during the two and a half year period so we're doing a lot of a lot of caregiving and humor helped us get through it mm-hmm. um and one of the things and and without giving too much of the book away but um you know i've always had this love of film and the movies and everything and i i remembered seeing the movie terms of endearment and uh aurora greenway who's shirley mclean's character and right iconic scene where she's getting med- pain meds for her daughter um, and they're 30 seconds late and she just goes nuts on them. And she became my alter ego. And throughout the book, she makes appearances um, when I'm feeling like I need to fight for something for my parents. Mm-hmm. I think it's where a lot of the humor c- comes out in the mm-hmm. book, but there are other places as well. And those alter egos are so powerful. I mean, in my first book, Frankly, My Dear, I'm Gay, I mean, my alter ego, which I call her, she's a big black diva, hmm, surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. And um, her name is Lemonade Pop. So typical kind of drag name. And no, I haven't done drag as her. But it, it's that voice that brings the levity. It's the voice that says, mm-hmm. hey, this is a really difficult subject, but we can still have fun and find the humor in this. And too often i think we as humans whether it's our own coming out journey which i'd like to talk a little bit about that um but it's becomes so serious instead of this beautiful joyous thing that it is about hey i'm finally truly being who i am i'm a big queen now you know you know whatever that may be but it's really hard when these difficult situations present themselves so as you start to dig in and realize okay we're going to just find <laughs> find the joy, the humor, you know, even mm-hmm. though that was very sad, what, you know, you went through. Um, did you find yourself leaning back into some other piece of life where you're like, well, I always find the humor in everything. Or was this like, oh, this is a whole new brand new way of Mike showing up in the world? Mm, I think it was, I, I, well, certainly I came out in the height of the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I shouldn't even say the height, the very beginning. Um, right around the same time I came out was when the New York times first had the first articles about 
quote unquote, the gay cancer. Um, and I was in college and pretty much all the gay men I knew in college are gone. Um, and there was a lot of caregiving that went on back then. Um, I think one of the things that was different with the caregiving with our parents is that we had this history of them having to struggle to accept our, our homosexuality right. um, and the pain that that may have caused us along the way that we had to sort of let go of to be the best caregivers that we could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that this caregiving thing is, it's becoming like even more and more prevalent, not surprising because uh -huh. there's a lot of boomers out there. Right. And, you know, I feel really blessed thus far, knock on wood that, I haven't had to step into that space. Mm -hmm. um, my parents are both still alive. My husband's parents are both passed. Both his parents went very suddenly. Um, his dad was killed in a car crash. His mom passed away mm -hmm. in her sleep. So we never, we've never, you know, dealt with that yet. And mm -hmm. yet in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I know it's going to happen or I assume it can happen. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm preparing to like, okay, how can I, how can I be in the right space in my head? How can I keep a sense of levity about this? Even now, as I'm dealing with some stuff with, you know, my parents being not listening to some things that they should be listening to and like, okay, you guys really need to move closer and you know, all this sort of stuff. But um, it is such a challenge. And as you went through those challenges, you know, did you find in the moment, even with your parents, like live in person, you're like throwing the humor into the interactions or is it more now standing back, looking at the experience you find by writing the book that you put the humor and the levity into the situations? Oh, the humor was there all, all along. Um, mm -hmm. My mom and I had this relationship that was built on body, dirty, dark humor. Um, you know, and, uh, there were so many times that our conversations would just be filled with this sort of thing. Um, you know, there was one incident and, and this gets covered in the book, but, um, she was having this really, really bad day and she looked, you know, terrible. And, mm -hmm. um, she was like, what's the matter? You're looking at me funny. And you know, somehow, you know, and I said, you know, how she looked and she goes oh you treat me so bad you wouldn't treat me like that if i wasn't laying in this bed you know and i right. just turned around and went but you are blanche uh -huh. right right out of whatever happened to baby jane and you know her right. response to that was like ah, i knew i should never introduce you to the million dollar movie which uh -huh. in new york was like an afternoon thing and she and i would watch old movies together right um you know i i had the same with my father i had it with my mother-in-law um he was a very religious woman, so I was a little bit more reserved when I was dealing with her, but right. the humor, it, it had to be there. It's who I am. It, I couldn't help it, you know. Right. Um, some of my coworkers are like, oh, you're the king of the dad joke. And I'm like, yeah, but you're still laughing. Right. So, right. <laughs> That's interesting. So let's kind of step back into that space of, you know, coming out in the early 80s. I came out and went back in, but I came out in 1982 somewhere in there, 82, 83, my first, I can't remember if it was my first year in college or my second, I'm pretty sure it was probably my second year in college. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then because of you know no you can't be that religious all this sort of stuff and and not being i wasn't a really strong guy and then you know my dad's older brother actually was one of the very first ones to pass away from the um aids epidemic and it's like okay well that scared me to death so maybe i won't be the gay little boy that i know i am inside but um what was what was like your own journey with your family at that time was it like immediately like okay cool yeah we're good with that or did you go through um, the whole it, it was kind of complicated there was some of the, they were actually the last folks i came out to mm-hmm. um there was a, a period of time i was probably sophomore or junior in high school and i was really struggling um and i say struggling i think i knew but i didn't want to accept it i wasn't ready to make a commitment to it and i had a friend my parents knew his parents and his brother came out. Mm. And so I casually mentioned this at the dinner table and my mother like so seriously said, I don't know how any parent could take that. Right. So this gets seared in my head. Yep. Right. Um, Flash forward. I come out in college. Um, Basically I was having dinner with a friend and She's like, you seem so sad. And I said, well, I just feel lonely. And she goes, well, what are you, you, know, what are you looking for? And, and it was the whole pronoun thing, you know, well, right. well, they need to be this and they need to be that. And, um, and then she said, and who's they? Like, I don't think you want a woman, you know, and I said, what gave it away? And she goes, well, I watch you when you watch TV and how you light up when the hot guys are on the TV set. So mm. kind of, that was my first, you know, thing. Yes, that's right. That's true. Um, and college was an easy place to be out. I went to a very liberal school. Um, and it was very much more about being political and the social aspect of it than it was the sexual aspect of it. Right. Um, that after I graduated, I went to Boston for a couple of years, and that's where I took care of that piece of it. And then I got into graduate school for my doctorate, and I was moving back to New York, and I was like, well, this is the time I have to tell my parents. And I sent them a note. I, I, looking back, I probably could have just should have just told them in person, but I was mm-hmm. scared. So I just sent them a letter and I said, if you don't ever want to talk to me again, you know, I'll leave it up to you to call me back. And after about 10 days, my mother called and said, we haven't heard from you. I'm like, did you not get the letter? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh yeah, that, you know, we figure that out. You know, I, I was always trying to ask you and I'm like, my, you used to call me Fagala. That's not asking me, you know? <laughs> Um, and, and for months after that, my mom would say, oh, I'm fine. Your dad is struggling with it. But I used to, I'd worked with my dad and I know that he worked with a lot of gay people and that it wasn't as big an issue for him. I think it was a, a much bigger issue for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she came around and I was always, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say it. I was always the favorite child where she was concerned. And so just challenged her to feel more comfortable about it. And there were a few bumpy spots along the road, but I was persistent. Um, so, and it's so interesting to hear these stories and hear how everybody's journey is different. And it's, especially the piece about mom, uh-huh. I find that kind of consistently something that happens is like the mom tries to act like, Oh yeah, I'm cool with this. They're not near as cool, but they're, they're right. saying that, you know? Right. And then suddenly the dad sometimes will show up and say, well, actually your mom's really struggling. I'm, you know, you're my son. I'm okay with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I guess to a degree, that's what I went through with my parents. Yeah. Um, Definitely my mom is more accepting, but there was a time where I could tell she just wouldn't talk about it. And then my dad's always been very domineering and all that sort of stuff. So 
she kind of like where whatever way his wind blows, she just kind of blows in that same wind yeah. just to keep the peace in the family sort of thing. But it is an interesting thing that happens. And then as I was like getting ready to chat with you today, it really hit me as I was like, you know, reading a little bit about the book and everything. I'm like, I wonder what this, I wonder what this will be like mm-hmm. when my parents get to this space where it's like, so as we get to those end of life years, do I even want to talk about this anymore? Because we're kind of in a decent space where it's just accepted. And mm-hmm. I know they have their perspective still like, you know, it, it always, it always tends to rise up from time to time. Like, well, you know, God, I'm like, okay. Yeah. We're, we, I've, I've told you guys, we're not playing this game anymore, but yet mm-hmm. they still want to play the game, so to speak. So, um, so for you, was there like, as, you know, obviously your parents, this all happened really quickly, but as they got to that stage, was this a com- ongoing conversation about you and your lifestyle and being gay? Or was it just kind of like, Hey, yeah, that's just the way it is. So keep I, living I, life. I think they kind of accepted it as the way it is the way it is. And when I met my, when I met my husband, which was about two years after I came out to them, um, and he's also a psychologist and he is the best listener in the entire world. Mm. And I learned things about my parents that I never knew before because he would listen to them and they just mm. fell in love with him and he became the favorite child-in-law. Um, and I think that like just made it all that much, much easier. Um, but his parents were, were religious. His mother was Catholic and his father, you know, as well. And they had a much harder struggle with it. And for a while, I wasn't allowed to their home in the daytime because if the neighbors saw me come in, they would know like, oh my God, he's coming with the boy and that must mean he's gay. And, you know, me being who I was, I'd be like, you know, if it makes you feel better, I'll wear a dress, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which of course didn't go over great. Uh, But even in the end, even his father got sold on it, his mom, like after my dad died, he was the first of the three of them to die. Mm-hmm. Tom's, that Tom's my husband. His father had died several years before, and that was really the, the beginning of our caregiving. And it, it's shown in flashback in the book as well. But um, once his dad was gone, his mom, my mom, and the two of us became like, this, like the four musketeers. And we'd be out doing things and having fun together and... Um, traveling with them and um and it became like a non-issue um and we were traveling in ireland once and we were in this guest house with his mom and the woman who ran the guest house said oh it's so nice that your sons are taking you know taking you on a trip and because well they're not my sons one's my son one's one's my son-in-law and they were like you know, yeah, they're, they're together. Don't worry about it. You know, right, right. I was like, we didn't need to out ourselves, but thank right, you so right. much. But, yeah, uh, yeah. That's awesome. You know, what um, is one of the things that you feel like you've learned through this whole experience of the caregiving and being out to your parents and moving through? I mean, you know, as we get older, I mean, I, I know I, I used to be like, okay, I'm going to fight with them because like, you're going to accept me. This is the way it's going to, and every once in a while, that little head raises its ugly little claws again. And I'm like, no, just it's okay to just let this go. But I'm just curious, you know, because you've been through a lot. All right. What's something you really learned about that whole experience of just being 
with your parents and just mm-hmm. moving through their life with them? That's kind of a hard question. I mean, I think in a very specific way, I, I learned to love them with all their faults. Mm-hmm. Um, I found patience that I didn't know that I had. Right. Um, I tend to not be an incredibly patient person and can get shoved into a mood pretty quickly if things aren't going the way I need them to go. Yep. Um, but, you know, when someone's sick and someone's dealing with the end of their life, it's, it's all about like being, doing it on their speed yeah. um, and in their time frame. So I, I think that was probably the biggest lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know I, I value that time. I'm so glad I had that time with them um, to do it. Yeah, I think that's a biggie. And it's hard because my parents, they live very quite a ways away. They live in Idaho. We live in California. And mm-hmm. it's not it's just not easy to get away. And that's why we've been trying to get them to get closer. My brother and I both still live in California and it's tough, you know, because they are who they are and, you know, you want to respect them, but then you start getting to a point where it's like, you know, you just need to, you need to like do some of this stuff and then, you know, arguing with them about stuff. And I, and I don't want to ever take away their independence. That's one of the biggest things, you know, um, but there's also that piece of, okay, you don't need to be living up there. You don't need to be hiring people to shovel snow. You could be saving yourself some money. Da, 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 da. And yet I say my piece and go, okay, but this, if that's, what's making them happy, you know, let it be, right. you know? And that, I think that's one of the harder things is to let it be. And especially when there's, doesn't sound like you had a huge amount of any, you know, coming out, you know, contention, so to speak, but when there's been that piece that still kind of ruminates, and I've talked to a lot of, you know, people in the LGBTQ community, they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I'll ever resolve everything with my parents. And right. I find that really sad because I used to be there and, and I feel, I won't say a hundred percent there, but we're pretty close where I can just right. kind of let things kind of flow off my back at this point and go, it's not worth it. It's just yeah. Let it be what it is. Uh, there were a few moments in during the lifetime where there were incidents that I would I would consider more heterosexist than homophobic mm. that I had to confront. You know, there was one time um, I had two siblings, two brothers, and at that point they were both married. There were two new grandkids in the family, and my husband. Since the time we hadn't had a family portrait done since God knows when. And my mother wanted to get another one done. And she was like, oh, and we have, you know, my two new daughter-in-laws and the, and the grandchildren. I was like, well, what about Tom? You know, like, why would you forget about him? And she was like, oh, I didn't mean to, you know, and, but she caught, but she got it and they got it and they got that they needed to be aware and be, be that inclusive. But when I hear those kind of stories and I hear them a lot because I coach people all the time coming out of the closet, I also invite them (laughs) to think about how difficult it was for you to talk about being gay yourself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? And especially in this day and age where we're, you know, we're now exploring as I'm not going to, I'm going to say as humanity, even though I know that all humanity is not even there yet, but exploring mm-hmm. like the gender non-conforming, the non-binary world and the, they, them, the, you know, all that. Just remember how, how you struggle with this, even if yeah. you're not, there's, there's things you struggle with. And, you know, I used to do a lot of talks with P flag on beyond some of their speaking bureaus and, you know, talking schools and stuff. 
And the thing that we always tried to highlight for students was if you're coming out, remember that the moment you come out is the moment your parents probably go in the closet because mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to figure it out. You know, we've been working really hard to like finally come to this moment, but not everybody else was on our journey. Now, in your case, it sounds like, oh yeah, they kind of got it already, you know? Um, and those are the beautiful, amazing stories like, oh yeah, we know we we're just waiting for you to, you know, tell us, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I also invite people into that other space because I think that's a really valuable right. arena to get to play in as you went through this experience and, you know, both parents gone in a very short time. Is there anything for you other than probably the obvious, like, well, I guess I'm next sort of, sort of conversation. <laughs> right. But is there anything for you that you just like, okay. I really learned like this is really valuable to me now other than life, you know, obviously life mm -hmm. is very valuable. Is there something that just kind of stuck out for you as you went through that whole experience? I think it's to not put things off, mm -hmm. right. To like, um, as the cause I did some work in geriatrics and the, on the unit, the staff had this uh, motto, which was do it while you can still walk and remember. Mm. Um, and, it was sort of like, do what you want to do, do what you love and don't get bogged down. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously be an adult and take care of your bills, but you know, right. there's more to life than just paying your bills and make sure right. that you're doing that. Oh, come um, on. Paying bills is fun. Let's, <laughs> I want to wake up every morning and do that all day long. So oh, thank I God know. I can set them automatic and not worry yes. about it. Anymore. Oh, isn't that the truth? I mean, oh. you know, I remember, I, I don't know wasn't that long ago. One of my daughters was over. My daughters are 22 and 26. And I had this, this ceramic bowl on my desk that I kind of like put bills or things to, rem, you know, reminders in like, you know, like the tag, the car tag or the smog check mm -hmm. or something like that, you know, that I know it's automatic, you know, it's going to show up, but I, I just like, Hey, there's that paper trail thing that I need. Like right now I have a, a, a bid for some, you know, automotive work to be done on the car. I'm like, yeah, I don't need it right now, but it's sitting there. So I'm like, okay, in another month or so I'm like, okay, yeah, we right. can do this. Right. And my daughter, my youngest daughter noticed that there was a checkbook in there and she goes, do you still write checks? I said, rarely, rarely, rarely. Every once in a while, there's something I feel like I need to write a check for, but I'm so glad for the electronic world. Mm -hmm just you know is such a a blessing yet <laughs> and my parents are of the generation and my mom i don't think she does very often but it, it's you know it's always like the person who's in line they pull out the checkbook you're like really really this is what atm cards are for you know but um it's, well, it is I, interesting to observe that stuff i still use cash mm -hmm. um which a lot which young people like look at you like what is that um right. But for me, it, cash is budgeting, right? I can mm -hmm. take this much money, put it in my wallet, and I know I'm not going to spend any more than that because I don't right. have any more. Right, right, so, right. Um, but yeah, the electron, I mean, when I think of that change that I had the opportunity to observe, um, you know, one of the, one of the um, things with the book is that um, I could have bought it out a while ago, um, like earlier in the year for mm -hmm. two reasons. One was that COVID... I thought maybe it would be over by the time the book comes out um, and it would make life easier. Right. But the other was that um, I turned 60 the week after I bought the book out and mm. it was sort of like, 
um, I try to find things when you hit those milestones yes. to make them not feel so painful. Mm -hmm. um, like for 40, I went to Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. Put everything mm -hmm. in perspective, right? right. Um, so for 60, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put out this book and I'm going to be so busy. I'm not even going to notice it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I'm actually in a rush to get to 65 because when people ask me what <laughs> I wanted to be when I grew up, I always said I want to be retired. Uh, um, but I, I do think when I do finally retire from psychology, I'll probably continue writing because I think mm -hmm. I have a few more books inside. But um, that's, that's yeah. interesting because as I was sitting listening to you, Mike, I'm thinking, okay, I've been really struggling with this book. Mm. Not, I just say, yeah, kind of struggling. It's like, it's not a priority now. I'm really busy with work. I mean, I have a thriving practice and I work for another company. So things are pretty busy. So squeezing in, I can't, I'm not one of those guys who are like, okay, I'm going to spend an hour a day writing. I, it doesn't flow that way for me. I right. need to like, okay, I'm going to sit down and boom, go, right? So usually the weekends is when I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down. And then it's like, well, you want to go wine tasting? Oh, sure. Let's go do that. <laughs> you know, and then I find myself avoiding all this. But as you were talking, I'm like, yeah, maybe that's the thing. I'm, you know, I just turned 58. Maybe, maybe this book's not supposed to come out till I'm 60. I don't know. It, but it, it just planted that seed. Now, of course, now that seed's there. So I'm probably going, okay, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And I'll be pissed off that two years from now, I'm still, still not done. But um, well, it well, is like such you, an interesting journey. Like you, I, I'm not a disciplined writer. Um, mm -hmm. I did a lot of the writing of this book in um, I was taking memoir classes mm -hmm. uh, at a school in New York. And so pretty much I'd say 65% of the chapters were things that I produced as assignments for class. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every class would start with a, um, you know, something they give you something to write about and right. you you'd write for 10 minutes and people would write about the strangest thing. And I'm like, I, I'm trying to focus my writing here and I would just turn it all into things that might be able to go into the book, right? you know, and some of it made it, some of it didn't. Um, but so that would discipline me. And then the other thing I discovered was um, I have a lot of friends who had beach houses, mountain homes, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so if they would invite me up, those would be very productive weekends, you know, because I could just sit and write all day long. I could turn out a chapter in a day. Now that's a first draft, obviously, but sure. um, so that and writing retreats made all the difference for me um, mm -hmm. because I couldn't get up every morning and, and write for an hour and a half. Yeah. It just yeah. it didn't happen. I'm pretty good about if I go, okay, go, I can sit. Right. But I can't do that. Every, I, and I have friends who write books all the time. They're like, yeah, I spent an hour a day writing. I'm like, I, I would love to. And I used to do that a lot because I used to write for several publications and mm -hmm. you know, several blogs. And I wrote religiously when I had a blog on my side. Now I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that because I just I don't want that that pressure recording podcasts. It's a whole different thing. I'm like, yeah, let's uh -huh. do this, you know. But um, that's kind of crazy because I'm recording for today, but I love it. it and I, I realize that's a part of what's easier for me is like, let's just do the verbal sort of communication stuff, right. not necessarily the writing, even though I really do love to write, but it can't be something like sit down and write, sit down and write. It's got to like, hey, this feels like a good time to write. So my husband and I are celebrating our 20th anniversary in a couple of weeks by going to Provincetown and um, 
I'm like, that feels like a good time to like, Hey, I might just find some carved out time to do something, you know, uh-huh. or on, or on the red eye. I'm like, I'll be the guy in the plane. That's annoying everybody because he's got his computer open all night long working. But um, you know, it's just those things where you got to find your groove, which is very similar about finding your groove as a gay man or lesbian or bi or whomever. But um, so well, happy I'm anniversary. So- no, thanks, man. Yeah, I know. Twenty years—that's quite a long time for us gay guys. So, um, well, three days three days after this launches the um, podcast, my l- husband and I will hit thirty-five. Wow, so, that's awesome. Yeah. So okay, so since wet. we're there, let's really real quickly before we wrap up. So, what would you say has been one of the very, very best keys to you guys successfully getting to thirty-five years? I, I think we both give each other space that we need to pursue things apart from each other. Like we don't have to do everything together. Um, We both have a lot of respect for each other. And I think, you know, because we're both psychologists, Mm -hmm. we're both trained in family therapy. We have a set of skills and an insight that other couples maybe don't have, but um, there are times that that's been a real asset. There are other times that that's been a real deficit. Like yep. when you fight like psychologists with each other, you know, it's like, Oh, look at your mother. Of course you do this. Right. Or, you know, you know, if you weren't so anal with that one, right. they'd be like, right. yeah, you're happy. I am that. But I know, um, you know, I was all, I was all excited when my husband said, I think I'm going to get certified as a coach. And then like a, a minute later, I'm like, Oh shit. Right. not sure that's a good thing but you know it, it's been good and I, I think for us the thing that and i've been thinking about this a lot because i remember when we first got together my husband's like oh i can't imagine being with somebody for 20 25 years i'm like well bitch guess what <laughs> we're here and yeah. but i've been thinking about it a lot like and i want to do a a podcast around that you know what what makes it work you know and um for us i think it's just never taking each other for granted there's such a comfort in even in the worst of times and there's been some you know where i'm like okay we're we're about done to know that at the core of where we are as a couple is that we don't take for granted what we have Mm -hmm. you know and the respect to like you know giving each other space to do things and go do stuff i think that's huge and not treating each other like a possession you know, and yeah. I know you as a psychologist can go, oh yeah, that's what codependency <laughs> starts. Like you're mine. <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go. We're going down over that cliff. But, uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, no, well, it's, it's funny. You, you mentioned that you're going to Provincetown. Um, he and I just came back from there last night. Oh, and, awesome. And so we, we spent a, a week with some friends up there yeah. and we haven't you know, been. So it's interesting. We went for our 10 year uh, anniversary. Uh, we went a lot. There was a period yeah. of years that we were there almost every year. And then Ted, 10 year anniversary. And then I, we went the next year because we've been trying to figure this out. When was the last time we were there? And the next year we went as a family. So we had taken our girls when they were younger. But that next year, the oldest one was her junior year. Youngest one was like in seventh grade. So we're getting close to like the empty nest, first empty nester feeling starting to happen. They're like, we want right. to do Provincetown again. So we did. And that was the last time. So we're looking forward to it. Wow. We're just like really, you know, leaning into it. And of course, frantically trying to get everything done before we have to go. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it is a space where I'm just like, I'm ble- I feel blessed to a yeah. have this partnership. Number one, 
and B to go, wow. And, and I joke about, wow, <laughs> 20 years, that's like 60 years in heterosexual life, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is an interesting space when you see yourself step into these powers and also see yourself, you know, like putting, I was kind of putting it up against the barometer of my parents going, I remember when they had their like 25th, no, maybe. I know we were there for a big anniversary. And so now that it's got to be closer than that. Um, and going, wow, there's actually the same distance between us as far as when their anniversaries are. And when, so every time we hit a milestone, they hit a milestone. And it's such an interesting thing to be in that right. space, you know? So um, anyway, well, Mike, I'm, I'm so excited for the book. I can't wait Thank to put you. my hands on it. And anybody who is listening who would really like a copy of Mike's book, whoever is the first person to shoot me an email and say, I want this book, Rick is going to send you one. So um, I will hop on Amazon, order it and get it sent to you. But whoever's the first listener who says, I want another book or want this book, definitely go check out Mike's website. Go check out what the book's all about. Um, get to know him a little bit besides what we just did here on the podcast. And um, can't wait to see what else comes for you, man. I, I, Thank you. It, it kind of becomes addictive. I'm going to say that even though I'm dragging my ass, I'm getting my second one. It's like, I've been wanting, I, we, I started this book literally like right before COVID. So hubby and I were on a cruise ship right before COVID kind of unleashed its wrath on the world. And that's where I, I have the outline already kind of done, but that's when I'm like, right. okay, I'm taking this outline. I'm doing one more run through and now I'm going to start writing. And I got a lot done on that cruise and then came home and everything like, exploded no. like oh, okay well we got to pay attention to other stuff um, you're lucky you didn't get stuck on the cruise ship right yes we were very lucky we were like we were about three weeks ahead so there was enough there was already like hey we just want you to know none of our staff have been home we've taken extra precautions you know they asked some additional health questionnaire questions mm -hmm. Um, so yes, we got back and then literally two weeks later, the other ships were starting to like, we're keeping you offshore and all this sort of stuff. So yes, we were very lucky, but, um, anyway, well, thank you for a absolutely enjoyable, wonderful conversation, Mike. I've really enjoyed having you. And I know the listeners will take some stuff away, whether it's about caregiving or long-term relationships or being gay and the challenge that we all have. But, um, again, thanks man for being here and sharing with me. It's My really pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice. Hey, 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 life uncloseted family. Another episode of life uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life on Closet. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change your life. In fact, if you really want to change your life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.